This is Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. This episode features three-time Super Bowl champion, the playmaker, Michael Irvin, interviewed by Jane Slater from the NFL Network. Michael discusses the hunger that was necessary to excel in a locker room full of legends, his opinions on the Cowboys' new head coaching selection, what it's like to compete against Deion Sanders, and much more. Enjoy the interview. I graduated after my junior year of eligibility, and, and so it made me eligible for the draft. But if any team wanted to draft me that I didn't want to go to since I was only a junior graduating, I could drop a class and they would lose the draft pick. So, so, so Green Bay called. Here, I'm in a house, this little hover of a house. My bedroom is bigger than the house that we all grew up in, right? And, and I got all of my family members with me, and it was a bunch of them, you know? And, and, and Green Bay's calling with the seventh pick in the draft. And I was like, eh, I don't think so, Green Bay. It's a little too cold. And then the whole family started chanting, no way, we're the brokest people in the world. And we're chanting, no way, Green Bay. No way, Green Bay, you know? And, 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 and Dallas didn't even call. Dallas never even called. They just drafted me, and they didn't need to call. And I knew they would draft me because Jimmy. Now, I guess I can say it now. Jimmy oh, had already some shared inside with intel me. Here. Jimmy shared with me. He said, "Listen." He said, "Michael, I, I know what you're doing." He said, "I don't have no problem with." It. He said, "But Dallas is thinking about drafting you, and don't play those shenanigans with Dallas. You can go to Dallas now." And he said to me, to me then, he said, "I got an oil friend who's about to buy the Cowboys, and I may be joining you." So, so I was like, oh, okay, that, that might be cool. And they never even called. I could have dropped a class, they'd have lost the draft choice. They never even called, like, but they, it, it, it all worked out perfectly. I don't think I've ever heard you tell that story before. I, I, I think it would have been a violation back then. So, I never told a story. But Jimmy and I now, we are past being... This is the trust tree, everyone. The trust tree. Don't be tweeting right. that out. You know? and, and, and a good book coming out later. Let's not forget one of the best errors in recent memory, the one that included this guy to my left, Michael Irvin, right? So let's talk about The Captain, presented by The Tower Club. Troy Amon has gone on record and said that you are arguably the hardest working man that he has ever been around. And I find that hard to believe because if you live here in the Dallas area and you've ever been to an Equinox or on Katy Trail, that guy doesn't stop working. Not to mention he does Thursday night football games and of course Sunday. He used the example of the running test that you guys used to do. Can you give us some insight to what he might possibly be talking about there? Well, well Jimmy, uh, Coach Johnson, he put us through a running test, and you had to run 16 110s, and you, you would have 15 seconds to complete it with a 45-second rest, because that's the play call. It's a 45-second clock. And, and these guys would be out running, and of course, since I went through so much in my early years, I thought I should always do much more than everybody else. So their test was 16 110s. I would get out and run 16 with a 30-pound weight vest on, and then they'd go out and run 16 more, and then challenge anybody, like, who else can run? Those dudes would be dead, you know? <laughs> they would be dead, but, but, but it was just, and I was a wide receiver, the whole idea, I have to run every play, you know? The big linemen and, and all these guys, they really have to run, they're, they're, they're 
playing in a three-yard space. In a three-yard space. It's three yards for three seconds. You just got to block the fat guy that wears 300 pounds. That's all it takes, and you can be successful. But for me, I had to run and run and run. So I, I, I was in pretty great shape. Can I tell you how easy it is to moderate an event with a guy like Michael Irvin? I mean, typically, when I ask questions, I have to pull I mean, This guy is a storyteller. In fact, one of your teammates once told me when I was doing radio in Dallas, he showed up wearing a three-piece suit, and of course, I'm there in cut-up jeans and a ball cap, and I said, Emmett, you don't have to show up and wear a three-piece suit. And he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever received. You gotta give them what you came for, and you always give us what the fans came for. So I appreciate that. So, okay, your performance at the time was second to none, hence your nickname, The Playmaker. Speak on the drive to be better and how, how you would demand more of yourself. I mean, you talked about some of the things that you did early in your career, so you felt like you had to, to do more, but where did the drive come from? But in this I love here, and even now, you see it as we can bring it current, and you see guys like Tom Brady, who's tweeting out, I still have something to prove, like Tom. You, you have nothing to prove, you know. When Drew Brees broke the touchdown record, you know, I, my job is to analyze everything that people say and do, right? So, so he breaks the record. Tom Brady tweets out a congratulation. And right at the end of the tweet, I'm going to enjoy chasing you. <laughs> Let this man have this one record. You got six Super Bowls, he has one. You got all of these records, let this man have one thing. But he, he can't, he can't, he just can't. His drive to be great is, is so embedded and engrafted in him, that's what makes him him. I, I, I'll never forget, even in my locker, I had Jerry Rice in my locker in college, and, and I had him in my locker even in the NFL, and I wanted to compete against him so bad, man. I couldn't wait to compete against him. And I got in the NFL and started competing against him. I, I, I won receiver of the year over Jerry Rice, you know, most yards and all of that. I think it's like 91, 91, 92. And, and I'll never forget, I made the first Pro Bowl and, and Jerry Rice, we were at, in Hawaii, Jerry Rice came up to me and said, hey, Herb, and I knew it was him. <laughs> I was like, that's Jerry Rice. Don't turn around, make him call you again. He <laughs> said <laughs> Hey, Herb. I said, oh, hey, what's up, man? What's up, man? I appreciate you. I appreciate the work this year. I chased you all year. I couldn't catch you, but I'm already working to get you. I was like, wow. This is, you do the Super Bowl Pro Bowl a week after the season. He was already training again. That's what you know. In order to touch those guys or be anywhere in the room with those guys, you can't rest. Jimmy used to always say that each day you get better or you get worse. In the day you decide to do nothing, you just decided to get worse because somebody else gets better. And I've always stuck and lived with that. All right, let's also talk about the fact, this is a little known fact I didn't know about you, 15th of 17 children. Yes. Does your drive come from maybe the fact you were trying to get your parents' attention? Do you know what it's like growing up the 15th of seven. I don't, that's why I'm asking that's what I'm you. Telling you. I mean, you're talking about having nothing, and we were poor. I tell people, I, the word is poor, but we were so poor, we couldn't afford that other order. We said poor, and we left it at that, we were poor. And, and the, everything you got, you know, I'm big in the, in the fashion. Because we can tell. all of those years, 
all of those years, I got passed me down. So, so, and I'm the 15th. When he got it way up here, so say he got a pair of bell-bottom jeans, by the time they fell to me, I'm just praying, please God, let it be back in style. <laughs> in style, out of style. You just prayed that it was back in style, man. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it, growing up, you know, I'm a spiritual man, but boy, I was hot at God for giving me all these brothers and sisters. We had nothing, all these brothers and sisters. But later on, it was the best asset for me because I learned to work with people. And in football, there's no individual isolated success. You gotta learn to work with people. So it helped me in the long run to be able to say I won championships on every level. And I did. And let's talk about the champions. Three Super Bowl wins in four seasons. Jerry has been trying to chase that yes. sort of success ever since he took over the team in 1989. He talked about how good Troy Aikman and the people around him made him look because he had Troy Aikman as the first pick in the draft. So yes. when you come in like that, you look like a winner right off the bat. You had a guy like Jimmy Johnson. How hard was it to be on this team full of some of these dynamic personalities? I mean, workhorses, guys like Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith. What was it like being in that locker room culture? But we had a great nucleus of guys that really wanted to do something special. You know, and, and that was the great part of it. And, you know, it, after like the 90, 91 season, I remember Emmett driving home. He had just won running back of the year and I won receiver of the year, but we had gotten kicked out of the playoffs. And, and, and I said to him, he, and he said, man, it was great. Yeah, I said, yeah, but not great enough. It was great individually. He said, yeah, you're right. We'll get it next year. And then we actually started, ended up winning the Super Bowls. So I, I try to tell young guys now, because I'm, you know, in the business and I'm always around them. I said, you know, when you find that nucleus of people that really want to do something great, then it's up to you guys to make sure everybody that comes in that locker room falls in line with what you are trying to accomplish. We practice this way, we play this way, we do things this way, and if you are not going to do it, we can be friends, but we cannot be teammates. You gotta pat your feet, beat your feet, and get out the room or get off this team. So as long as you set those goals, man, and set the way things are going to work, and the way you're going to work, the way you're going to practice, you're gonna accomplish that. And I try to share that with the young men today. You know, it's interesting when I look at this Cowboys team, there aren't a lot of big egos in that locker room. There's a lot of guys, I think, that quietly lead. There's, you know, obviously some dynamic personalities. But when you want to talk about egos, I think of Troy. I think of the big personality of your head coach. I think of your bombastic personality. The egos aren't the problem. How egos did you guys the set the egos the aside hunger. to win? You can, you, you, can, you can diminish the ego. But does it, does it mean I'm, deal, I, I'm, not, I'm dealing with people with diminished ego, but I'm, I'm dealing with people with diminished hunger. You know, my son, when, when, when I told my son, my son, I, I grabbed him one day, and he said, I said, son, what do you want to do? He said, I want to play. I want to play in the NFL one day. I said, oh, really? He said, yes. I said, okay, go pack your bags. I said, you got to get out. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to send you, I sent him this, live with my nephew in Florida. You know, and he was around here breaking records, catching 22, 23 passes in a game. And he was, I come home, man, and he's got girls all out at the pool, and they're all up in the room at the theater. And, and I'm thinking, you know how hard I ran thinking about one day I'm going to be able to do this, and you're doing it now? Like, I said, son, it's not about physical skill set. In order to make it at this level, 
everybody can run, everybody can catch, everybody can jump. You gotta match the hunger of the dude across from you. And you can't match his hunger living in this house. He's playing for this house. So you gotta go. I kicked him out. I sent him to live with my nephew, right? <laughs> it was, when he called, the first time he called, he said, Dad, uh, there, there, this, 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 I'm staying in this little room and it has this thing, looks like a TV with this big old box on the back of it. They got a pair of pliers, I can't even turn. I said, yeah. Yeah, now, now you're working. <laughs> and when I go to visit, when I went to visit him, I say, hey man, why, where, where are all the girls at? You don't have anybody over here. Like, right, you know what I mean? That's how your dad grew up. When people would give me a ride home, I was like, just drop me off on the corner. I'm good. I can make it from here. You would not see that house I grew up in. You would not see that house. And, and, and I think no matter what you have, if you don't have the hunger, that's a wasted gift God has given you. You know, you talk about the hunger. You did a lot in your career, but let's talk about the last one, 1999. You had to end your career due to injury. I know a lot of you guys, I feel like Troy Aikman would have continued to play had it not been for the concussions. And even he said he almost came out of the booth in the Eagles game to go play uh, play back in the, in, in the league. But how do you deal with that type of adversity when a guy like you is so competitive who's found success in your sport, who I know in your mind knows that you can continue to play, but your body's saying you can't do it. Do it. How do you handle that sort of adversity? Well, my body, yeah, the doctors, and, and, and after I finally got up um, and, and got movement back in my body, I, you know, after being paralyzed in Philadelphia, I did go, I, went, I must have gone to 15 doctors just trying to find one and say, oh, you, you, I think you still can play. You know, I was just trying to find one and they all were like, you know, the next hit could be the last hit. And that, that made it difficult just from trying to standpoint of putting my wife and family through that, thinking about, oh, the next hit could be the last hit. But, but, but walking away from the game was the toughest thing in the world. And it's so funny, because Troy and I would even have dinner later on or have lunch somewhere later on. And I, I, I was in a neck brace. I'm in a neck brace. And Troy's looking at me like, are you really hurt? Like, you could probably come back and play Mike. I said, Troy, no, it's over. It is over. It's really over, you know? But even to this day, when we get together, we always talk about as blessed as we have been, and we have been blessed to, to do the things that we've done. We still talk about we should have done more, and we didn't pour out. And, and so when I talk to kids now, I say, you know, I'm an old man. I get to come around places like this, and we, I reminisce on my history, and it's a great history to reminisce on. But I'm telling young kids all the time, young people, man, you are writing your history. Make sure you write well, because you're going to want to reminisce well. And trust me, trust me, don't walk around saying, oh, I don't matter, I don't care because you're going to regret those. I won three, and I, all, I live in my mind, I should've won five or six. Somebody have, no, a lot of people, they don't have any. They don't have any, and I can't rest with three. So I'm just telling you, do all you can to get as many as you can. Do the best you can to always be your best. All right, let's finally talk about the here and now. This, of course, segment presented by Insperity. You know, after a disappointing season with the Cowboys and everything that they've been trying to do in order to get back into the playoffs, let's talk about today. Do you think that this move with Mike McCarthy was a good one? You know, there, there, there are two ways you can look there at what we saw. You know, because a lot of people waited on a splash move, right? Big splash move. 
and it's interesting because I was I just on the air with some people and we were talking about it, you know, if you'd have stolen Sean Payton, that would have been a splash move or, or, or something like that. But the reality is Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy are, are around the same place, record-wise, one Super Bowl, they both had superstar quarterbacks. So, so even though I, in my own mind I didn't see it as a splash move, I certainly didn't see it as a bad move. I, I think he's a solid coach. You know, Troy thinks the world of him. He, he, he's, he's a, he, he's a pay-attention-to-details kind of guy. I thought that the Cowboys needed a guy that's more of a motivator, psychologist, like Jimmy is, who's kind of playing with the minds of these young guys because they have the talent. It's one thing to have the talent shoulders down. It's another thing to, to, to play the game shoulders up and have the love for the game. And I thought that's the part that the Cowboys missed the love for the game, the knowledge of the game. But Mike McCarthy, he has the knowledge of the game. It's just a matter of can he connect with these guys. The days uh, of the Jimmy Johnson where there's dominion over players, where you get your job done, I'm gonna cut you and you'll never play again in the league, that's dominion over. And you have fear, and we, we played out of fear. <laughs> it was straight fear. We, we, we lost a game in Washington one time, and that poor little lady on that airplane. We were coming back on the airplane, and that little lady, when it got that cart to bring it out and start feeding us, you, you put that cart away. If they were hungry, they should have played better. You know? so, now, so now, whenever we lost, we couldn't eat, right? You eat five hours before the game. So after the game, you're starving. So if we lose, you couldn't even eat. So late in the game, I was looking at you, hey man, are we gonna eat or not? Y'all playing around where, you know, the game is close. I said, are we gonna eat or are we gonna starve? You know what I'm saying? So Jimmy put that kind of fear in you. So Mike McCarthy has to find a way to garner some kind of, you can't put fear in them because they get 40, 50 million dollars guaranteed. So it has to turn to reverence. They have to have some kind of reverence for him and appreciation for him. And he has to, like my bishop always says, he has to have an ability to dig down in kids and pull out their king and make sure they show up on Sundays as kings. You know, to your point, the local reporters, when I worked for CBS 11, we traveled on the team charter, which is eye-opening in and of itself. That's when I knew that you didn't have to turn your cell phone to airplane mode. Right, No right, one cares. Right. I and we're taking off forever, yeah, right, okay. They don't affect anything. Right. Okay. And they also right. serve you, I'm not kidding, it's a five-course meal. I mean, they have ice cream sandwiches that come out to you after they give you your chicken, and then you've got your green beans, and... I always wanted to fly on the Cowboys Charter because I get economy at NFL Network. I don't get first class. So I was always impressed by that. Now they still get even Jersey Mike subs, but I think that was a knock on Jason Garrett was the accountability, the fear. He was their best friend. You saw him going to Duke with Tony Romo and going to the basketball games, and he treated them like they were his kids. But I did want to pick up on what you said there, something that I was talking to Andrew Brandt today. This was the guy that hired Mike McCarthy. Uh, before he uh, got the job, he interviewed Mike McCarthy and Sean Payton at the exact same time. And they ended up choosing Mike McCarthy over Sean Payton. So, and, and it's funny, you bring up the records. I think it's because Mike is not out there wheeling and dealing in the media the way we typically see Sean. Sean is just naturally effervescent and good when it comes to the camera and has a lot of relationships. But to your point, I think we should sit tight on Mike McCarthy. Yes, I don't think yeah, it's a terrible yeah, move at all. Yes, we should give Mike a chance. Now, but the other thing, Jane, where I did, like I'll give, give a Sean Payton a little bit more credit. I, I Mike, Mike had Drew Brees. I mean, uh, Mike had uh, Brett Favre and Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Rogers. 
I saw Sean Payton win without Drew Brees. He yeah. had Teddy Bridgewater this year. Then he loses his best running back this year. So, so little things like that. Weaponizing Taysom Hill. Right, right. Weaponizing Taysom Hill. So, so, since it, in this league now, it's so important to get rushing yards from the quarterback. And he knows Drew Brees can't give him rushing yards. So he weaponized, I like that word. I'll throw it around. He weaponized <laughs> Taysom Hill to, to go and do things with him. And that's what I call brilliant coaching. It's called brilliant. I'm taking the assets I have and I'm using them to bring the best out of them and, and, and still uh, uh, bring it to the game today. You know, like, like a Tom Brady. So there is something, now I'm, I'm gonna give Mike McCarthy a chance, but I'm not gonna put a spuse on, on, on that dude, Sean Payton, when, so, I, when I just watched him go five and over with a backup. So you weren't sold on our colleague Tom Pelissero's piece where he talked about revamping his offense, bringing Jimmy Haslett in the room, this entire team, he essentially said he's an old dog that spent the offseason learning new learning tricks. Learning new tricks, yes. And, and, and that, that's, there's one thing to learn them. That means you're receiving them. There's another thing to give them to other people and bring the best out of them. You know, I always, always said there's a difference between smart and brilliance. Smarts mean I got the information. Brilliant mean I can give it to other people. And I need brilliant to succeed. As a leader, what is the one thing you do daily or consistently, I love this question, that has a significant impact on your success and the success of those around you? This, when you wake up in the morning and you put toothbrush to tooth, set your day. Set your day. I'm going to win this day. That's what you have to do, I think, to be successful. The most important thing is how you see the day. And I tell people, whatever you do in your life, make sure you know it's your calling and not your job. There's this study out that says 85% of the people are unhappy on their jobs. I said, that's not right. 100% of the people are unhappy on their jobs because it's a job. They get up and say, oh, I gotta go do this again. And I don't feel like doing it again. If you set your day by thinking or knowing that you are going on your calling, now you get up every morning saying, I'm walking out destiny, I'm not walking out duty. You want to walk out destiny, not duty. Duty, you're going to get tired of. Destiny, you'll always yearn for. So you come here for some wisdom and football stories, and we're taking you to church. That's why I always love when we got you on an Stuff. I hope you guys are taking notes. A lot of these guys that are coming in the league aren't coming in the league to appreciate the league, they, uh, you know, and, and uh, have, they're coming in the league to get away from their history of being broke, being poor, having nothing. This is the driving force. So you expect them to have knowledge of the league when all they have is knowledge of the hell that they've been in and been through and they're trying to get out of it. And so the first thing you should do as soon as they come in the league is give them knowledge of the league. And, and just like when you see these guys when they get drafted and they're up there crying and their mom's crying, they can appreciate and give reverence to the person that has helped them get there, but you gotta show them the people that have helped them get there because all they know is the fight that they've gone through to get to where they are. So now show them the fight that other people have put forth to make the league what it is so they can get out of the hole that they were in. 
then they can start having reverence for the league. But you got to give them that lesson. You have to give them that lesson first. You know, I love the NFL 100 initiative that we had where the players got to pick who they want to sit right. down with and go over tape. Who would you have asked to have sit down with? I mean, right, right here. I, I mean, I, I, I love and I have had sit downs with Drew Pearson. You know, that was a blessing. Every year I go, because I am in the Hall of Fame, every year I go to the Hall of Fame, I, 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 I go by... In case y'all didn't know. I, I, I go by the bus uh, of Kellen Winslow, because I was a kid, man, and I watched Kellen Winslow play this. He was playing for the Chargers and play this game against Miami. And, I mean, he would go in, his third down, he was catch a pass, and he's cramping, he's hurt, they have to towed him off the field, and they ice him, and they give him water, and then third down comes back, he comes running back out, he catches a pass, then they take him off, and I'm thinking, this is leaving everything on the field. It's the greatest game I've ever seen by a pass catcher. I even wore the number eight in high school because I wanted to be like Kellen. He left everything on the field, and every time I see him, I bring that up. I know he's tired of hearing it, but it just motivated me so much to see him give so much, man, and, and, and I love a guy like that. I love your reverence for the game. Believe it or not, I've interviewed players in that Cowboys locker room, and I'll ask them about NFL history, and they'll say to me things like, well, I don't watch that much football. Right, because they yeah, didn't play the because game. Because it goes they, back to the passion. Right, it, it, but, but it also goes back that they didn't play the game for the history. They played the game to escape their history, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why we have to give them the history as they come out of their history to make sure that they can appreciate the game more. Toughest opponent you've ever faced, player or team? Oh, well, the greatest cornerback that's ever lived is Deion Sanders, I think. He's just a gifted, talented player. I've always said one or two things. I can beat a man by attacking his weakness. I can break a man by attacking his strength. You know, and, and so no matter what, if I had a smaller corner that I'm bigger than, then I can attack his size and just beat him up. If I had a bigger corner that I was quicker than, then I can attack his quickness. Dion was a big, quick dude. He's a fast dude and he was big too. Though I beat him all the time still. <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. <laughs> beat him in college, beat him in the pro. But, but, but. He was still my toughest opponent on a daily basis. <laughs> if there was an basis. opponent, he you know, would be. It's so funny, but one of the most difficult guys I played against was a guy named Robert Massey who was crazy because Drew Rosenhaus, I don't know if you guys know Drew Rosenhaus, he's one of the biggest, one of the bigger agents. You know, Drew Rosenhaus wanted to be Mel Kuyper. He was my best friend in, high, in college, you know, and, and, and I got him in the agent business. He wanted to be Mel Kuyper. I said, Mel Kuyper. I don't be Mel Kuyper, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I got him in the agent business. We graduated together, and I had him working with my agent, and then he went on to be his own agent. And his first client was Robert Massey. And he would always, you know, I was in the league, and he was learning to become an agent, and, and he was just starting to work with Robert Massey, and he wanted me to help him get in. And so I would call Robert Massey all the time, and he was a cornerback. And he, man, he couldn't believe he was talking to me. I said, yeah. I said, man, watch this. Watch the first play of the game. The dude will come up, he pressed me. I've been watching him on film. He likes to press the first play. I'm gonna tell coach, I'll tell coach, run away from the play just so I can come right up under his chin. <laughs> right I'm gonna set him up. We wanna go right there, right there. Let him know what kind of day it's going to be. You know? So I told Robert Massey all of my stories. All of my stories. I never thought about one day he'll be in the league. <laughs> and I gotta play against him. 
and New Orleans drafted him. And I remember the first game, we, I, would, I, I, I would play Dion and have 150 up. Daryl Green have 130, come back with Rob Woodson, 140. And then Robert Massey, I would line up, and he'd come line up, he, he said, <laughs> He said, I'm not gonna stay up here, he'll back up, you know? I was like, oh my God, he knows all my secrets, right? I would come away with like three catches for 30 yards. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it, and it was in my head because he knew I had told him too much, right? I, just, I told him I, had, I wore a mouthpiece that I wore in my mouth, right? And we played on turf. I never knew why they didn't figure this out, right? And it's a mouth guard. You put the mouthpiece in and it, you know, covered my lips and I would put dirt all on the lips outside the corner, just dirt all on it, right? And, and the dude was like, this is a filthy dude. What is this dude? It's a dirty mouthpiece, you know? It's not even any dirt out here. We played on turf. You know what I'm saying? But they never figured it out. And I was just trying to psych them out. But I couldn't do it with Robert Massey. Did. So, so Robert was a, was a tough out for me. He was a well, tough out. To be out. fair, you did give him war secrets. I gave him war secrets. And I, I, I never did it again. You could never talk to me about anything. You know, it's just, I did, I did my own training. Did my own, I, I kept everything secret just because of Robert Massey. He was a tough out. Well, I have to ask you, too, because Dion works with us, and uh, he loves to talk that talk. Yeah. Was he one of the best trash-talking cornerbacks you ever lined up against? Dion, Dion really didn't talk much when we played. You know, he, he were the, 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 the championship game, and they won that game, the 94 championship game. Uh, Dion was playing me some, and, and, and Dion would come up, and I was just, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than Dion, so I would just be firing into we hit them, and it was illegal. Some of the stuff I'm doing was certainly illegal. You know, I'm hitting them, grabbing space man, putting them down. And, 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 and Kevin Williams, who's my boy, Kevin Williams, he would come back and deal with Kevin. Kevin, you tell Michael, you know, he must say. And, and so I'm in the huddle, and Kevin comes in. A, he said, Michael, shut up. Don't you tell me anything. I don't hear nothing he's saying. You know, but, it, but you know, I was like, just be quiet. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. But Dion was, he's a great dude, man. One, he's one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. You know, because we, we used to compete in dunk contests and all of those things together, not just football. We took it off the football field. We put it in basketball court. Of course, he played in uh, professional baseball. He, he's, he's a great dude and, 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 a, and a wonderful athlete that I enjoy competing against. And he'll tell you he's the greatest, which is the other thing I love about and him. And he is the greatest. <laughs> he, he really is the greatest. Listen, Dion played a baseball game hit a home run, hopped on a helicopter, went over and played a football game and caught an interception. Trust me, man. That's insane. That's insane. You're using a whole different bunch, a whole different muscle group to play one sport in the, in, in the other, and he was able to do that. It is, it's almost physically impossible. And to it's game almost plan. physically Can impossible. Can you imagine game planning for two different opponents in two different right. sports? Right, right. And, and, and both, and both you're phenomenal in. He's just a phenomenal athlete. He really is. All right, so one player you wish you could have played with on the same team. You, you know who I always wish I could have played with and I thought I would have a chance? It, it's actually Dan Marino. Dan Marino's the only guy that's in my man cave that has not won a championship. I got a cha I call it a championship cave, and everybody's in there that, that has won a championship. Dan Marino's the only guy that, is, that, is, that hasn't won a championship, but he's still there because he was that great. And, and I was watching him in Miami, and I used to run around and hang out with Mark Duper and Mark Clayton and, 
and I thought Miami would draft me because they needed a big receiver, and I was right there in Miami, and I really wanted to play with Dan Marino, and it never worked out. And I tell him this all the time. We always laugh. He said, man, I wish I'd have known that I'd have made them draft you. I said, Dan, I could have got you the rings, buddy. I could have got you the rings, man. I could have got you the rings. I would have gotten them those rings. You know what I'm saying? But, but yeah, probably Dan Marino. As he told you the story about his man cave, are you guys just not sitting there going, can you imagine the memorabilia that he has in his man cave? What's your most impressive yeah. memorabilia you've gotten there? I, I, not, not, my, now, my man cave, I don't have any memory. I just got pictures of guys like the Ali's, the Jordans, the guys that climbed a mountain and instead of standing on top, they made another mountain to climb. They just went and go greater and go, kept getting greater and kept getting greater. Now, my pool hall, my pool room, <laughs> yeah, some trophies and rings and, and everything in that room, you know what I mean? I got all the pictures and, 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 and my, my, my banner across has each ring, you know, national championship rings, Super Bowl rings, Hall of Fame rings, and, 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 and big pictures across the, uh, the curtains and everything, so, and, and I, I got all of that stuff and my pool hall, which I never really get to go to. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, most influential coach you've had at any stage of your playing career? Uh, it's, I, it's a great question, because you know, my, my high school coach gave me a life, you know. They, they, they basically took me off the street and brought me in and said, you know, we're, we're going to undergird you with some support, Michael, and, and we know your family doesn't have anything. We're gonna get you some help. But all we ask is that if you make it like we know you can, just don't forget us now. I can tell you what that has turned into, but that was the deal we made. That was the deal we made. And, and so, so I thank God for him. I always call, you know, they're, 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 when I'm out speaking sometimes, I call, there's certain people that I call miracles on my journey. We all have them. We all have these people that you know you would not be where you are had it not been for these people. These are the miracles that God has placed for you on your journey to help you get to that end point that he so intended for you to have. And, and, and Coach George Smith is certainly one of those miracles. But Jimmy Johnson, you know, I just lost my father when I came to the University of Miami. And Jimmy Johnson was, you know, I, I, I love him. I consider him like a father. And, 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 and Jimmy, I, that, that's why I say a reverence for him. Like, I just, I hated watching him when we lose. It hurt him so much that it hurt me to watch him hurt that badly. You know what I mean? It just hurt me. He, was, he just wanted it so badly and he, did, he was not good at losing. So, so without Jimmy, and Jimmy stuck by me, man, uh, with all the dumb stuff I did in college when I first got there. And, and he, he, he said to me then, he said, son, I'm always be here. I'm always be here for you now. I just need you to listen. And, 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 and do the right thing, and, 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 I, and I thank God for him also. I love that. All right, what athlete did you model your game after? It sounds like you already told us this one earlier. Well, well you know, I, there, there are a couple guys that I loved. I mean, I, I, they told, I, I love Drew Pearson, I, lo I love Kellen Winslow, but we, we, we all had a different skill set. You know, Drew was probably, probably, he's a little smaller and a little quicker. Kellen was bigger, a little shorter. So what I tried to do is blend them together you know, blend those, blend those things together. I remember when I first got in the league, man, and I was trying to fake a guy on the line of scrimmage, and the dude just chucked me in my chest, man, and, and Everson Walls got me stuck on the line because I watched little Kevin Martin fake people out. And then Kevin Martin came to me and said, man, what are you doing? 
He said, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to get around. He said, man, if I was you, if I was big as you, I'd just run right through that joke. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna try that next. <laughs> right? And it, and it worked. I was like, okay, <laughs> I could just run right through that joke. Then my mind started twisting and I broke it down all the way. You know, I, I started saying, oh, you know, laws of inertia. Any moving object hit a still object given the same way the sideshow move the still object. All I got to do is be the moving object. So then what I did was take out sound travel. When Troy's over there saying blue 18, blue 18, sound travels. The center hears it first. And then it travels out, blue 18, blue 18, it reverberates all the way out to me. So blue 18, set, 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 hut, 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 hut. And they tell you, wait, wait till the ball moves before you go. I'm like, hey, I, I, I can't wait on the ball to move. I gotta go now. So what I did was take out the sound traveling. Blue 18, blue 18, set, set, set. When set hits my ear over there, I'm thinking Troy's saying hut way over there. So I'm not waiting on hut, 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 hut. He says, set, set hits my ear. I'm going now. He's saying, hut over there. We're moving at the same. Instead of height and I move, it's moving at the same. And them cornerbacks like, Ralph, he's on size. He's on size. <laughs> and Ralph's like, no, he's moved as soon as the ball moves. <laughs> and, right? and I mean, I'm laying into him. He's not even ready to be hit. He's like, Ooh. <laughs> it was, it was. It, I, I was killing them dudes with that. It took forever for them to figure it out, you know. Then they just thought, let me back up off this joke and play him off, man. But, but I started thinking about all of those things and ways to get great. And, and, and if you want to be great in anything, you got to sleep with it. You got to eat with it. You got to walk with it. You got to talk with it. That's how I figured out all that I figured out. I'm like, wait a minute, man, I'm gonna take this out. I can do this, I can do that, because I slept with it, I ate with it, I walked with it, I talked with it. That's what it takes to be great at anything. Who wants to run through a wall right now? Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Michael Irvin. Be sure to subscribe to Thuzio Live and Unfiltered wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, be sure to follow us on social media, at Thuzio.